you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 5, that's where we're going to be at together this morning. Romans 5. We'll get there in a little bit. Leo Tolstoy once said, Seize the moments of happiness. Love and be loved. That is the only reality in the world. All else is folly. It is the one thing we are all interested in here. It's the one thing we're interested in here. I've found this quote this week and it resonated with me because I think he's right. I think love is the one thing that we are all interested in. It's the one thing that hits home for all of us. That when we look at it, we can talk about everything else in this series. But for all of us, love is something we want, right? I was thinking about this, I was like, how do I prove this? And I don't think I really have to prove it a lot, but there's a lot of statistics and things I got to talk about, about how much money and time and effort we pour into relationships and we pour into love. But I think the one thing that I could point to as just like putting the debate aside, that we all want to be loved, that love resonates with us all deeply, that it is the one thing we are interested in here, is the fact that this year there will be 40 new Hallmark Christmas movies on TV, right? What more says that we all just want to be loved than the fact that we will sit night after night after night watching variations of the very same movie, right? I mean, I say that there are 40, like, new Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. It's finally that time of year. And some of you are like, I can't believe that I live in this world where there are 40 new ones of these things, right? Oh my goodness. I, 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 one of the things is, like, when me and Hannah first started dating, I just asked her. I'll, I'll just be upfront about this. They're not, like, my thing. I don't like them. I was like, do you, I asked Hannah, I was like, do you like Hallmark Christmas Channel movies? Because if you do, I don't know if this will work. Um, let me make some enemies, okay? There is no way that these things should exist. Like, this many. That there should be a demand to have 40 new movies every year, right? And yet it's this cultural phenomenon that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I mean that they shouldn't exist just simply because of the fact that, like, as movies go, like, objectively speaking, they're just not that good, are they? I mean, first of all, they're made for TV movies, which are never that good. But the, the thing is, is that they are the same plot over and over again, and they're so formulaic. You know how this thing's going to end. You take the title, you add love and Christmas, and everybody ends up happy, and there's your movie, right? Like, everybody knows going into this, and yet we sit down for hours at a time, night after night, and we're like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens in this one, right? I mean, these movies, the fact that there's even so many of them, and people will do this night after night after night, just points to the fact of the very thing that Tolstoy is talking about here, that it is the one thing we are interested in here. We want to be loved. But the fact that people will also tune in to these movies night after night that, quite frankly, aren't the most enthralling of movies kind of also points to the opposite. It points to the fact that maybe we're missing something when it comes to love, that we know about love, we know what it is, we know what it looks like, we know how much we want it, and yet there's still something that we're not getting as it pertains to love. 
I think the only thing I have to tell you about to hammer home this point is the fact that on December 5th, there is a Hallmark Christmas Channel movie called Sense, Sensibility, and Snowmen. The fact that this movie exists just shows we don't have the full picture of what love is and how it works, right? I cannot believe that's how, like Jane Austen is somewhere like, this is not what I meant when I wrote Sense and Sensibility. No, like this is so bad. I was like reading through the list of Hallmark Christmas Channel movies this, uh, this week as, as I was looking at this stuff and man, the titles are so great. I thought it would be fun to play a game with you guys um, called, is it a Hallmark movie title or is it just gibberish that Matt made up? And so as I share these, I got four of them for you, okay? And so I just want you to like, when you see it, like yell out, do you think it's a Hallmark movie or do you think it's just gibberish I came up with? Okay, you guys ready? You get the idea? It's a pretty complicated game, right? All right, here you go. Christmas Wishes and Mistletoe Kisses. Is that a Hallmark movie or is it gibberish? It sounds like Hallmark. Okay, it's a Hallmark movie. Okay, there you go. Keep a score. Okay, The Mistletoe Secret. What is it? Uh, that's about split. That is a Hallmark movie. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The Christmas Club. Angsty teenagers get put in detention on Christmas Day, right? Yeah. Uh, that is a Hallmark movie. Um, and finally, Two Turtle Doves. Oh, so bad, so bad. It's a Hallmark movie. They're all Hallmark movies. They are, of course they're all Hallmark movies because I can't come up with anything this ridiculous. These things are crazy. It's so bad. I can't believe it. And what it shows us is we are so desperate. We are so desperate for love, but more importantly, that there is indeed something in our lives. As much as we devote, as much as love takes up our lives, as much as time and money we pour towards love, we're still missing something, and we so desperately want to see it work out this way in our life, right? That we will sit and watch these day after day, night after night, just to see love actually work the way we would like it to in our own lives, time after time, situation after situation, in every relationship we have. And so we give ourselves to these things. We know, we know they're kind of sappy and kind of ridiculous. You know, the funny thing is, I, I make fun of Hallmark movies, but comic book movies are the exact same way. They're formulaic. You sit down in a comic book movie, guess what? The good guys are going to win, right? But we're so desperate, especially guys connect with comic book movies because we're so desperate to see what would a hero actually look like. I don't even know what it looks like to be heroic in my life and in this world today. And so just like show me something. And we will time after time give in to the most ridiculous plots. Like I sit down with my wife and I'm like, I'm going to watch a comic book movie. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm leaving the room. This is ridiculous. Of course, like guys flying around and all that kind of stuff. Nobody believes in that stuff, right? We do that with heroes and comic book movies in the same way that we do it with Hallmark movies and love. We just so desperately want to see it in our life because there is something that we're missing even though we might not realize it. And so the idea this morning as we're talking about love and the upside down notion of love isn't that we don't know what love is or it's this foreign concept. It's that we actually do. It's just the fact that maybe we don't know how love actually works. We know what it is. We know what it looks like. We surround ourselves with it. And yet there's still this, this fundamental thing there that we're like, we haven't quite figured it out. 
And it feels like this emptiness inside of us, and we've got to fill it with something. Like, can you imagine if this is true, this idea that we know what love is, but we don't know how it actually works? Can you imagine what that is like if that is really true? That we have this vital thing that we all say is the most important thing to us, that our lives are actually built upon and is the source of everything else that we are. And we have it, but we're misusing it. Like, can you imagine the idea that love is this good thing that even our world can recognize and talks about and, ha- and says how we need more of it? And yet, what if it's good how it is and we know to use it and yet it could still be better? Uh, in the 1950s, uh, there was uh, basically a revolution in the home heating industry. Uh, that'll grab your attention, right? Um, uh, most homes up to that point had, were heated by coal furnaces. And in the 1950s and 60s, uh, uh, other forms of heating, cleaner forms, uh, were being introduced. And so a lot of homes were switching over to electric and natural gas uh, heating uh, furnaces. And whenever there's a big switch like that, it, it affects more than just like a single uh, thing because there's other like periphery uh, products and companies that make a living off of that industry. And one of those was before with coal furnaces, when they would burn the coal, it would create soot in the house. And so your walls would get dirty, namely your wallpaper. And so one of the things, uh, one company that made a ton of money off of this kind of periphery product was this company called Cutall. They actually made wallpaper cleaner. So that as soot got on your walls, you could clean off the wallpaper. And so uh, the thing was, is that in the 1950s and 60s, nobody was using coal furnaces any longer. I mean, who has wallpaper anymore even too, right? But they, so this company, Cutall, they were facing uh, bankruptcy because they had a product and it worked. It was a good product and yet it was no longer had a purpose. And so facing a crisis, they were trying to figure out what to do before they declared bankruptcy. Uh, One of their workers realized that a local school, this was in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, a local school and children had started using their product, realizing that was moldable and formable, to make Christmas decorations in their arts and crafts class. That gave their employee an idea, and so they took out the cleaning product in it. They added in a fresh scent and colors, and before long, they had Play-Doh. Something that had worked good, and yet they were sitting on something way better, right? I don't know how much money they made with wallpaper cleaner. I guarantee you they made a whole lot more money with Play-Doh, just in my house alone. Um, I will never forgive them for what they've done to my carpet. Um, We can look at the world. We can look at ourselves even, right? And we know that we know what love is. We know what love is about, and yet we know there's something off. And it's so easy, it'd be so easy for me to say the world doesn't get love, and for us to point at it, and yet one of the things we often talk about here is is, is it is easy. It's easy for us to point outside of ourselves and say that it's wrong out there, but the thing is, is that the thing that's wrong out there is the thing that's wrong in here too. It's the thing that's wrong in me. And so as much as I would like to say, well, the world doesn't get how love works, and this is how love works, and we all know this, the fact of the matter is that I have to be willing to some point to admit maybe I don't know truly how love works. That seems to be what Paul is talking about 
in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8 this morning. He says, we don't know how love works, but the great thing is, is we have an example of what it really looks like and how this thing that's so important to us really functions. He says there in Romans chapter 5, he says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In these three verses, Paul brings up two really important points about how love works upside down that I want to talk about this morning. The first thing is, is he talks about how we love. There at the very end of it, in verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, he says. That's what love looks like, self-sacrifice. Paul is telling us love is not selfish, it is selfless. He's sharing with us the upside-down principle that it is better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive, Paul says. And I read this. I, I read Romans 5, 6 through 8 here, and I think, well, of course it is. I mean, just even that principle that it's better to give than to receive. I mean, that is something that we have been told since we were young, right? Like, we know this principle. But do we really? I mean, did any of you actually believe this when you were eight years old and it was Christmas and your parents were telling you, now remember, it's better to give than to receive, right? You're like, yeah, shut up. Just let me open my presents. Like, it's something that we actually, we talk ourselves into and, and we get the concept as we get older, but do we actually follow this principle in the entirety of our life? I mean, as much as I want to say that I live this out, the more I think about it, the less I'm sure. I mean, all I can do is speak from personal experience. And what I know is, is that, um, I think back to when I was younger, I had, um, when I was younger, I had an irrational fear that I was, I was going to die young. Uh, that, that at some point, I, I was going to, I didn't know how it was going to happen. I was just worried that I was not going to grow up, basically. I'm still waiting for that day. But in that fear, there were three things that I just wanted to know. I, I just kept thinking, if I can hold on, if I can not die before I know, one, what my job will be. I, like, I wanted to know what my career was. I also wanted to know my family. I, want, I wanted to know what my kids would be like, how, how cute they might be. Turns out the Gerber baby has nothing on my kids. But most importantly, the thing I wanted to know most desperately was who my wife would be. I wanted to be loved. It was vital. It, it was the thing I was interested in. And this list, th these three things, I say it and you're like, oh, that sounds really nice. He wanted to know his kids and his wife and everything like that. Let me, it, let me just tell you the deep, dark secret of my soul. It was all about me. I am a very driven person. That when I set a goal, when I know I'm going to something, I move in that direction and I don't stop until I get there. And I knew in some way, at some early age, that for me, what would be a successful life was having a career that mattered, 
having a family, being a good dad, but most importantly, it was somebody else looking at me and not just being like, wow, you're good enough, I could stand you, but like, hey, I like you enough to stick around with you. The fact that I could be lovable, I could be valued in that way, to me was huge. And so while it looks like in my life, I know, and the goals of my life are based on the principle of it's better to give than to receive, I know that the big goals that I've held on to are just as much much about me getting as it is me giving. That the things that people would look at and say, wow, that is real, that's amazing that you would want that. I know that there is in me, those things are just as much, they were before Jesus about what it says about me, that it is who, who I was attached to. I think the people that are, this idea is probably hardest for are the people whose love language is giving gifts. And I know that because that, that's the way I am. The way I love to love on people is to give them gifts and so for those of us that have that mindset well, we think well of course I know this of course I live out of this principle that it's better to give than to receive because that's the way I love people but the fact is is that we love that way and we like doing that because of how it makes us feel right the tough thing for a person in that situation I know this because I've lived this what happens when the person you're trying to love does not receive love that way it's so frustrating. My goodness. So I'd be like, I gave, I didn't receive, right? So what happens when you have to sacrificially meet them where they're at and love them the way that they receive love? It starts to show something different. It starts to be depleting rather than filling. And so many of us in, in the relationships we have in our lives, we can say that about those relationships. Like really, if we think about it, that so many of our relationships feel like we're just letting everything out and we're asking ourselves, where do I need to get filled up at? How can I get filled up? Because we're still operating under the right side up principle of I need to get it to give it. We see love as this commodity that has to be accrued in order to be able to give it to other people, don't we? That we essentially need our tank filled up. Man, the problem with this is is that when we feel this way, that we have to be full in order to start letting any of it out, we end up using the most important relationships in our lives as a way to be loved, not as a way to treat others with love. How can I give it if I don't get it? You ever feel that way? Uh, a few weeks ago, our uh, hot water heater was on the fritz. It was leaking, and I'm not a handyman. And I don't know anything about plumbing. and so, um, But we know Jake May. We know a plumber. And so um, I, told, I told Hannah, I was like, hey, why don't you text Stephanie and ask her about, you know, if he can, you know, fix our water heater and stuff. And so the great thing was is that Hannah texted uh, them and she goes, uh, does, uh, does Jake work on hot water heaters? And uh, uh, Stephanie texts back and says, uh, he works on water heaters, but we don't know what the, a hot water heater is because it's already hot. Why does it need to be heated? But, um, which is awesome. I love the fact that my plumber has sarcasm um, as 
um, the way he communicates. So uh, I, we, we asked Jake, though, we got that all sorted out. It's a water heater. It's not a hot water heater. We got that sorted out, and we asked Jake, he said, can you come down and take a look at it? And, and so he was, and so uh, he was coming over the next night, so I started looking. Our water heater is, like, really old. We know we're going to have to replace it. So I started looking at water heaters, right? And so I'm looking at them, and I'm like, okay, we have this, like, really big one. And so I, like, kind of sticker shock because I'm thinking, ah, it's, like, 400 bucks. Ah, no, it wasn't. Um, and so I, I, was, I was looking at them, I was like, okay, it's this much money. And so, like any guy, I'm like, well, what else can I get for that much money? And so I was like, what about tankless? I've heard about this thing. And, you know, so you hear all these things about tankless water heaters and, and stuff. And I started looking at them, and it's like the price wasn't that different. I was like, oh, okay. And so being a nerd as well, I was like, how do tankless water heaters really work? And it's like, it's really, it's kind of fascinating. And so you didn't know when you were coming this morning, you were going to get to learn about plumbing. Um, uh, but it's interesting the differences in how they work. A, a tank uh, water heater, the traditional kind of water heater that most of us have, right? The water goes in and there's this, there is a flame at the bottom and it heats up the tank. Basically like a pot on a kitchen stove, right? You put the water in the pot, the, the flame heats the pot and that heats the water, you know? The, the water never comes into contact actually with the flame, the source of the heat, right? And so that's the way a tank water heater works. And the problem with them is, as great as they can be, and they've, they've been used for a really long time, is that they're kind of inefficient because it heats up the water, but then the water's got to sit there. And what's more is, as it sits there, it can lose heat. That's a problem. But what's more is that as you use a lot of it, if you use it too quickly, you can run out of it. And then it has nothing left to give you, right? And we all know what it's like to be the last one in the house to take a shower, don't we? Like, that is the problem. And so the way a tank, tankless water heater works is that it has this heating element, and the water actually comes into contact with the source. So as you need the water, the water comes in, it gets heated instantly, and then it goes out. And so it is a limitless supply of hot water because it comes into contact directly with the heating element. There is nothing between it. This is a picture of our lives in love. See, the next night I, I was talking uh, to Jake and, I, and he was telling me about it. He's like, yeah, he's like, maybe you've got two years that you can get out of this thing. I was like, okay, so like, what about a tankless water heater? He's like, well, you can do it, but it's expensive. And he goes into telling me about how if we do it, we're going to have to change out all of our piping. He's like, you're going to have to change your whole system. And he's like, now it would be better, but it's going to be painful to change it. We operate, the right side up view of how love works is we need to be filled up. We need it to come in. And what's more is we need to hang on to it because who knows when it's going to be asked of us. And we are afraid to give any of it away because what if I give too much of it away and then I don't have any more to give? This is how the world operates with love. Why? Because they have an idea of the source. They know that there's a flame out there somewhere, but they never see it. They never come into contact with it. They never touch it. The upside down way that love works is that what is between us and God is removed and we come into contact with, directly with Jesus Christ. And through that, as we need it, it is given, and we are able to give it away, and we become a continuous, constant source of love to share with others. Talking about the upside-down nature of his entire kingdom, Jesus was telling his disciples that his own purpose, he says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, my purpose, me, 
I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. There's nothing in that purpose statement that Christ gives for himself and says, this is what I'm here to do, where he says anything about needing to be filled up in order to give. He says, through me, I am the source of love and of life, and through me, you too can be a constant source for it as well. Do we still have needs in this way? Do, like, do we still have needs in which we need to be loved? Absolutely, but we no longer love other people based on whether or not we are being loved. We are actually able to become a constant source of selfless love for people, irregardless of our situation or our circumstances. Why? Because we are connected to Jesus Christ and our needs, first and foremost, are met in him. But more importantly, for what we're talking about this morning, we find that the upside-down nature is that the way to experience love is to actually give it and show it to others not to look for it from others. That as we get it, we as we give it, we experience it. As we need it, it is supplied. And we are able to share it freely because we know it is limitless. It's better to give than to receive because in receiving, we lose some of it. In receiving, it grows stale and old. In receiving, it gets wasted. But in giving it, we experience it in ways we never would have before. I think most of us can attest to the fact that the relationships in our lives that require the most self-sacrifice are also the most rewarding and formational in our lives. Because it's better to give than to receive. And we experience love in a way through giving that we never do through simply receiving. And Paul also talks to us about who we love. He says in verses 6 and 7, he says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Let me translate that really quickly. Paul is basically saying that it's rare for anyone to be willing to sacrifice his life for someone else, even for someone who's worthy, although a few people might go so far as to do so. It's not uncommon for us to hear of people sacrificing and giving their lives for other people, and yet it's a very select crowd, if we were honest with ourselves, right, that we each would be willing to die for, right? I'd be willing to die for some of my kids on the particular day. But Jesus shows us that we love those we wouldn't ordinarily love through this upside-down way of operating in love. And so this is the upside-down principle that Paul is talking to us about, that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. I, I, I hear this again, and it, again, it sounds good. And I hear it, and I like to think that this is what I do. But Paul uses two words here that I think he uses in order to hammer home a point with us. He says, righteous and good. Those two words, and it's like he's kind of, it's kind of redundant. But what he's pointing out is that we, I, again, speaking from just personal experience, I have the tendency to be selective with who I love and how much I love them. 
Because when we're operating under the right side up principle, I can't truly say I love everyone the same way. Why? Because it's a precious commodity. I have to be selective. I mean, none of us walk into this room expecting everyone else in here to love us the same way that our spouse does, do we? None of us walk along the street and expect people on the street to love us the same amount that our family members do, do we? No, none of us expect to love other people that way. And yet we're told that Christ has done that. But for me, it is easier for me to love those that fill me up than, than those I know won't. It is easier for me to extend it and to spend it and to give it if I know it's going to be coming back from that direction as well. And yet the thing we see with Jesus that is amazing is that he has given himself in love to those that will never repay it. That is the amazing flip side of John 3.16, this amazing passage where John talks to us about how God has given his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, the amount of love that God has poured out upon you and me, and how great is that. But he also talks in that passage about how there will be people that do not accept it. And yet, he never says, Jesus didn't die for those people. No, he actually says, Jesus has loved them the same amount. He has loved them as he has loved you and me. He has died for people that he knows will never love him in the way that he has loved them. How many of us can say that we do that easily in our lives? It's easier for me to love those I think deserve it. People I deem as good, worthy, People that I can empathize with their situation. It's so much easier for me to love people I see as victims rather than I, people I see as causes of their own situation. And the tough thing about this is, as I was thinking about this, this week, putting in the context of what Paul is talking about, that means I seem to know who is worth dying for and who isn't. I love the idea that everyone is worth love, that we're all in this together, but I have personally too much experience that shows how much I don't actually, as much as I like the sound of it and I attest to it with my mouth, I don't with my life. The upside down view of love starts in a place where we don't need to store it up so that we are free to give it to everyone that needs it. It is not something for us to hold on to and to percolate with and to let grow cold and weary and cynical. But it is ours to give freely because we know as soon as we give it, we'll have more of what we need. We don't just give it to those that we think are worthy of it, that are worth spending this precious commodity on. Because we say, you know what, don't worry about it. I've got more. And so it's not whether or not I want to give it to you. It's whether or not I should give it to you, whether you can ever fill me up or repay me back. This is what love upside down looks like, and these two principles of it is better to give than to receive, and that we are all in this together, are the thing that I think oftentimes in our life we are missing in a right side up view of how love works. A few years ago, I was um, 
I was helping a family with um, a, a really intricate, complicated situation. They'd asked for my help. They'd asked for counseling. And so I was, I was helping them along, and, and I realized very quickly that I was well in over my head, something I never thought I would um, be helping people with. And so I, I knew I needed some wise counsel, some people that had uh, more years of experience than, than I did. And so one of the people uh, I reached out to was Tom Hurt. Uh, the former pastor here at OCEC. And uh, Tom was always really gracious to me, and, and Tom was gracious enough again to uh, talk to me about it. But as we were talking, Tom said, Matt, uh, this, a lot of this is beyond me, and so a person that you need to talk to is uh, Brent Burson. And um, quite honestly, I was hesitant to call Brent. I, I didn't know Brent. I knew of Brent. We had never met. We had never talked. And... Um, I'd referred people to his practice, and I knew how hard his practice was to get into. And so I knew Brent was a busy guy. And uh, Brent didn't know me, and what's more is Brent didn't owe me anything. And, uh, but I was desperate, and so I thought I'd call him. And so I, I called his office, and uh, I didn't get him. He, he was gone, and so I, I left a message, and I thought, I'm probably never going to hear back from this guy because he's, he's a busy guy. And again, he doesn't know me. At 9 o'clock that night, I got a call from Brent Burson. And uh, I, it was the weirdest conversation because I said, you don't know me. Um, I think he knew about me, kind of. And I just laid out this, like, really hard situation. And uh, Brent talked to me that night for over an hour. Uh, walked me through everything. Helped me think of things that I hadn't thought of before. But what's even more than just talking to me about a situation I was asking Brent about was Brent asked me about me. Uh, how I was doing and what I was thinking of and how to protect myself and something like this and all these sorts of things. Brent extended to me that night a love that I was not expecting, uh, a love that blew me away, um, a love that, quite frankly, demonstrated these two principles. Uh, that's why one of the reasons I, we were, I was so excited when we found out we were getting to come to OCEC was to meet this guy. I still hadn't, a few years later, still hadn't met Brent because I'm, a, I'm terrible at following up with people, even though I should have gone by and said thank you. Um, and so I was excited to meet this guy that would, that would spend an hour on a weeknight talking to somebody he didn't know, somebody that he probably would never have contact with again. Um, to extend that kind of love to that person. While probably his wife was sitting in the other room like my wife was, thinking, why are you still talking to this guy? My goodness, get off the phone. You're always talking to people. Um, it, was, it, it was equally disheartening uh, just a couple months after I came to find out that Brent was diagnosed with ALS and um, how hard that diagnosis is. But for Brent, it was hard for a different reason. Because as most people see ALS as slowly losing the ability to do things for yourself, Brent saw ALS as slowly losing the ability to help other people. Um, Brent had to quit going into his practice, which he had founded, which he had given over 30 years of his life to, which for him was a source of being able to help people work through the most difficult situations in their lives. Brent had a heart for helping people. And so in a, in a time of life where most people do what they want to do because you can and nobody blames you for it and you have limited amount of time, 
in a time when people usually have bucket lists or they decide to basically be their families, when Brent can no longer go into his practice, Brent started asking people that needed help with counseling for free to come to his house and meet him there. When most of us, myself included, would probably look to ourselves and look to our family and those close enough to us, those that fill us up, those that can repay us, those that are worthy of our love, and we would say, I'm going to spend the most precious final moments of my life there with them, giving to them. Brent gave to everyone. He had figured it out. He had figured out that while he could spend his time about himself here in those last few months, that he would experience more love giving it away than trying to hang on to what he could. He would experience it in a way that he couldn't have otherwise. I like to hope I'll be like that. I like to hope that that's how I'll feel as I get there in those last few days. Brent figured it out because he knew Jesus Christ. He knew these two principles were what was missing from so many of us as we look at love and try to fill our lives up with it. That we need to be giving it away at every chance we get because we've been given more of it than we know what to do with. And that everyone, no matter how we would look at them or judge them, is worthy of it. Because quite frankly, none of us were worthy of it when Christ gave it to us. Brent figured it out, and so because of that, he was able to end well loving. Loving people who needed it desperately. We're going to finish our time with a time of worship and celebrating communion because that is where love was turned upside down. When someone that could have taken everything for himself and done what he wanted decided that it was better to give everything away for everyone. Christ gave himself for you and me, that we may know love, we may know life, and we may be able to know the joy of freely giving it away because we have been given more of it than we could ever hope to receive. Ellie and the worship team are going to come up in a minute, and as they do, we invite you just as you feel led to come, uh, the communion plates are here at the front. They're not in the back today. Um, remember, we're also taking a special offering for Obria, and so you can put that in. There's an offering plate there as well. But as you do and as you worship this morning, I don't, I don't want you to think of Brent because Brent wouldn't say think of me. I want you to think of the one who made Brent's life what it was. That it was Jesus Christ and the love he had enabled him to love and to live well. And what we all need is not to be like Brent, but to know the one that he knows. To be connected to the source so that we are free to give it away to everyone that needs it.